Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Emily D. Baker on the line. Emily, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How about yourself? I am great. I'm looking forward to this conversation because you work in the wonderful field of law, and I know a (laughs) lot of people. I've used a lot of attorneys for good things and for things that eventually turned out good. wasn't so much at the beginning, but you know what? That's how you go through the process. So share a little bit about you and the work that you do. Absolutely. I am the badass lawyer and my community and my clients kind of gave me that name because I, well, I was a deputy district attorney for over 10 years. So uh, when my clients are like, I I just don't want to go to jail. I'm like, don't worry about it. You're not going to go to jail over this. You might have to pay some taxes. You might have to, you might have to change some things on your website, but you're not going to go to jail. And I work with online businesses and entrepreneurs. I'm also a content creator and a podcast host. I really believe that law shouldn't be a mystery. It governs everything that we do, everything that we do, but nobody really understands it. And it feels like it's behind this massive paywall and, and you can't just go sit down and understand the laws that govern our business and our lives. So most of my content explores either business topics in the realms of intellectual property, trademark, you know, the shit you need to put on your website or uh, pop culture and legal issues going on in the world of Britney Spears and Kanye West and YouTubers and all of that. So I love breaking down laws in different aspects of our lives because at the end of the day, we all need to understand what we can and cannot do. To protect our organizations and everything that we've put our time and blood, sweat, and tears in. And as I kind of alluded to when we first started chatting before I hit the record button was I, I see a lot of entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and startups they're so focused on building their product or service and getting it out there and making a bazillion dollars and all that stuff, but they they forget about the legal aspect of things. Sometimes even you know with contracts and agreements, it's like no, this is not a garage sale transaction here, people. This is you, you, you're a running a business now. You're incorporated, you know, all or maybe you're not incorporated, and all of a sudden you've got yourself exposed to losing everything, everything. because you did something. So it's and I see it time and time again, and even. I've known this for decades that you don't do that. I mean, my original career was public accounting. So setting up businesses <laughs> yes. was part of one of the things that our organization did and, you know, making sure it's like, okay, now who's your attorney? Oh, I don't have one. Well, let's go get you an attorney and yes. <laughs> we're going we're to start with that. They cost money. Well, you know what? If I buy something from you, that's going to cost me money. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, then- absolutely. You wouldn't build, especially if you want to have a million or multi-million dollar business. Some of my entrepreneurs don't want to have businesses that large, which also you still need legal protection if you're taking money. But if you're going to build a two or $3 million home, you're not going to do it without a rock solid foundation because you want to protect that investment and keep you and your family safe in that home. Your business is the same way. You don't build a multi-million dollar business without a solid foundation because then you're left unprotected. You've got to build the foundation first. And it is way more fun to build names of products and brand colors and your website. Those are more tangible and much more fun to build, but none of them help protect your business. They help bring in clients, but if you bring in clients without the legal protection in 
place, it can really go wrong very unexpectedly. And I often get entrepreneurs after they've been burned once or twice, and they're like, I have to do something, particularly with newer entrepreneurs in the realm of chargebacks. And and if you get a chargeback, all of the major processing are like, well, where's your contract? If you don't have a contract that you can send them, that chargeback will go in the favor of the person who charged it back against you. And you can lose tens of thousands of dollars in some cases. So taking the time to explore the legal, and there are lots of attorneys like myself doing content as well. There are more opportunities now to run content and start to understand what you need for free or a low fee that there's no excuse not to do it other than fear. (laughs) And that doesn't help because once it goes wrong with legal, and it's a phrase I say in all my content, but once you go wrong with legal, you can't put the shit back in the horse. Like you can try to clean up the mess, but you can't undo what's been done. So it becomes a very important part of business. I had a client call me because another entrepreneur was starting a podcast with the same name as her podcast. And this entrepreneur had spent lots of money branding the podcast, getting ready for the podcast, recording episodes of the podcast, getting it ready to launch a much larger entrepreneur than herself. And he had done a trademark search, but not with a alternate spelling of the word and ended up having the exact same name as her podcast, which she had trademarked. So they ended up resolving it because both of them were willing to work together. And he ultimately changed the name of his podcast, but it could have been a very expensive trademark issue to go through trying to force someone to change that. So if you start branding and spending all your time branding and getting a signature product together and it steps on somebody else's intellectual property, all that money's gone when you could have paid a couple hundred dollars to an attorney and make sure you didn't build on land that wasn't your own in the first place. Yeah. Time and time again, especially... Mm -hmm. With online, creative names, things like that, you know, you get into that situation where you you could come up with uh, a a name and I'll I'll share a story real quick. I worked for an organization (laughs) many years ago and they wanted to do rebranding and they actually brought in a branding expert and all of that. They obviously weren't legal or anything like that, but they were trying to come up with a name. And then they came back and they said, okay, we based on the work that you do, and it was a nonprofit, you know, social services, healthcare, a variety of different things. They actually presented the name coach. I'm pretty sure I, and I'm a guy, I'm pretty sure I know about coach. I've seen many people, especially half the directors of that organization were female. And I would say each of them had purchased coach products in the past. I'm thinking, no, we can't go with that name. Did you actually yeah. look that name up? Uh, were you that oblivious in marketing? Because marketing, you know, you, you most people anyway, this firm, I don't think so much. You look for things and you're like, okay, could we use that name? Like Coke or Coca or Pepsi or yeah. Target or, you know, Mick something. It's like, you, know, you can't put Mick in front of anything. Even if, <laughs> even if your last name is, you know, Mick, McIvy or something. It's like, let's go to McIvy's. You're going to be getting a phone call from uh, uh, probably a, a 312 area code and or 647 or 847 in Chicago saying, um, yeah, no, you, you, you can't do that. Um, so it's, again, it's just going back to what we said a little bit ago about you're so focused on building your business. You want to protect it because that's and the simple question. I'm sure you asked this a lot and I advise people on certain things like so all this work you've done would you like to lose it like immediately no well then 
It's like buying insurance. You want to protect your organization. This is simple to make sure it's ironclad. Then if anybody violates it, you're protected. You've got the legal background. doesn't mean you're not going to spend money to defend your your property or your business or whatever the case may be. But that's why it's so important to have legal agreements and check things out and make sure everything's good to go. Absolutely. And it gives you, it gives you the ability to make choice in your business. If you have a solid agreement and a customer really like with COVID, I saw this so much with different businesses. Hey, I have a no refund clause. Like once work started all of this, so businesses were protected, but once things started getting very difficult, they were able to make the choice to do the right thing for their customers, but they weren't forced to because they didn't have a contract. So it gives you the ability to do the things that are right in the way you want to do them instead of having your hand forced. Because there will be some clients who you're like, I am at 99% done with this project. We are not refunding it at this point. And if you don't have a contract, it's going to be much harder to enforce that. So it allows you to be generous if you want to be generous, but it also allows you to stand your ground. It also allows you sometimes to pass the buck because it's like, you know what, my attorney drafted these contracts. If if you want to modify this, let me check with them. And sometimes that pause is enough for somebody to go, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it because they don't want to deal with it. And just having a contract, just having legal protection doesn't mean you have to sue everyone and take them to court. It gives you choice, which ultimately gives you freedom in your business because you're not reliant on other people's decisions to do the right thing. I'll give you a real life example as well. Uh, course creation. I have some courses. Mm-hmm. I'll be creating more uh, over the next few months and years on different things to give access to my burnout coaching in a more affordable way for people. And there was an organization that wanted to, you know, partner up with me and have me create some courses for them as well in in the wellness space and whatnot. I'm not going to mention any names, but <laughs> they they send me the agreement and I look at it and I, you know, I'm, and again, not an attorney, but I've looked at many agreements, so I I passed it on to my legal counsel and I said, okay, take a look at this, but. In particular, could you clarify whatever clause or something like that was? Because the way that I'm reading it uh, as a novice is that you know they retain not only you know the rights of everything that I do, um, and it's not a collaboration; it's like me mm-hmm. working for them type of situation, but also common phrases, words, and things like that. They would reserve that as well. And I, I and, and the attorney came back and he said, yep, that's exactly how it was written. I said, okay, let's get a bullet point list for them to say, okay, this needs to be changed. And I, I said, you know, look, I handed it to them and they, they apologized. They said, well, you know, they had their attorney draft up, a, you know, basically a template for them. Mm-hmm. They'll, they'll get back to me on the revisions that I wanted to request. Um, I've never heard from Still them waiting. again, <laughs> and Still I don't think I will. Now, now, if no. they're if if they're listening to the show, still waiting. But I'm not anticipating <laughs> that they're going to do anything with it because I don't want I don't want to say that they were trying to do something shady. I don't want to make that accusation, but not replying to me later on saying, "You know what? We're going to go in a different direction," tells me that. Mm, Maybe. So like, well, again, that's a perfect example. I could have found myself Mm -hmm. in a pickle on anything that I do and talk about because there's a phrase in a course that I did. They say, well, we actually own that phrase. So 
you need to you know pay us for anything intellectual property is such a big aspect of contracts especially in uh, collaborations or joint ventures oftentimes Mm -hmm. people don't even think about if we decide to part ways how does this thing we built together still get sold who owns the rights to the website url who owns the rights if they're social media handles who owns the rights to what we've created and a lot of times this happens in the music industry too but people do things earlier on in their career and don't realize the lasting impact of them but even though you say, I read it, but I'm not an attorney, everyone should read their agreements so they understand at least what they don't understand and then can have those things clarified instead of just relying on somebody else. Because once you see enough of them and have them explained enough, you start to understand, oh, these are the things I'm really looking for in a contract. Who owns intellectual property? Is there an arbitration clause? What is the jurisdiction like? Am I going to have to go sue somebody in another country over this contract? Or are they saying, if you work in the States, are they saying they're domiciled out of the US? So if something goes wrong, I would have to then go internationally to deal with that. Those are the things, some of the things (laughs) that need to be paid particular attention to. And anyone can do that before they take it to legal counsel. Yeah, just to verify that everything is good. Yeah, because... Joint ventures, just like anything, you know, it makes good, we can make money, we'll have referral situation and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, sounds great. But then if they don't pay and there's no agreement or even I'll give another example real quick, uh, speaking opportunity. So uh, paid speaking thing. And, you know, normally there's a contract that says, okay, here's this, here's the stipulation. Here's what happens if Mike no shows, or here's what happens if you cancel, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I had one, you know, reach out to me and, and, you know, there was more of a, no, we, we're good. We're just going to, we'll send you the money and all that kind of stuff. I'm like, no, let's, I'm all right. If you're not going to give me a contract, I'm going to give you mine just to mm-hmm. protect everybody. Uh, Cause I don't, um, that's yeah. Okay, great. The money comes in. Okay. Well, does the check, does it bounce in at all? No. Okay. That's legit. <laughs> okay. That's good. All right. Now, you know, is there, you know, stipulations, what am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to sing during my performance? Cause I would definitely need, we need a lot more money. One earplugs for everybody listening and then, you know, and me for embarrassment and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, for businesses, and my hope, and I know you know the everybody in in the legal industry would would celebrate me saying this: having legal protection on everything that you do should be as common as the ideas and thoughts of how you create something. So, if you create something, like okay, I've got this thing. Okay, how do I protect this? What are some things that I need to look at with this? Whether it's an endeavor, a skill set. Uh, a project, a service, products, whatever, have that as part of the checklist. And it's either not in mind at all, or it's a back parking lot type of thought and go, oh yeah, wait a minute, we should probably have something like that. Have it part of the design plan because anybody that designs anything, they have, they have, they plan it out, they map it out. And, but on that Gantt chart or anything else or project plan they're using, it's like legal review. You know, put that in somewhere and and work with legal because they can say, well, actually, you should have talked to us back here or you've talked right. to us too early. They're a partner. And yes. like you said, spending a couple hundred bucks here and there on something like, you know, a letter or review or title search or whatever the case may be can save you tens of thousands, if not more Absolutely. down the road. So it's... It's cheap insurance, people. I, I, and it really is. 
when it comes to the intellectual property stuff, um, you can spend so much time and energy and money building in the wrong direction mm-hmm. and then waiting to get to legal at the end and going, oh my God, I didn't realize this was someone else's name. I didn't realize that there was a trademark application in the works on this and I can't use it. Even if the URL is available, just because a Google search doesn't show up a .com under the name of the thing you want to name doesn't mean somebody doesn't have it trademarked or they might have it trademarked in an ancillary category that would forestall some of your down the road plans. So yes, you can get it for your course, but you can't get it for a book or you can't get it for shirts or hats or mugs or whatever it is you want to sell. And so understanding what your options are early lets you ship course before you've now become married to an idea through time, money, labor, or just falling in love with the thing that you're going to put out to the world or even starting to share it. So it absolutely makes sense to bring in legal. And if you find an attorney that doesn't make you feel heard, listened to, or emboldened in what you're doing, find another attorney. There are so many lawyers. Find someone who works with you the way you work. That's that's great advice on that. So I want to talk a little bit about burnout because you had mentioned that you had yes. uh, a, a burnout story as well. And you know, a lot of my listeners have been through it or they found me because of my burnout journey that I had. So love to hear uh, what you want to share about that. I had a, well, it was a career changing burnout for me. I was a deputy district attorney for the County of Los Angeles uh, for over 10 years. That is the criminal prosecutor, um, putting people in prison, everything from, you know, large scale drug deals to tax evasion, to murderers, to pimps, hoes, the whole nine yard, like kind of like a rap song out of Compton is is the type of work that I was doing. And I didn't realize that I had severe adrenal fatigue until I was sick all the time and was going to specialist after specialist after specialist. And somebody was like, oh, well, maybe we should just like, maybe it's your gallbladder. I'm like, I, why is this a guess? Why is surgery now on the table for guesswork? It became very frustrating. And I had, I was looking at my case files one day at work, realizing that I had missed appearances on every case I was handling because I was out of work at least a week a month because I was so sick. And I came down with mono. I got hand, foot, and mouth, which adults like don't get. Um, but I was just so severely compromised with adrenal fatigue that I couldn't bounce back from anything. And by the time I found a functional medicine specialist and realized how severe um, the adrenal fatigue was, and among other things, he was like, I don't even know how you're working. I'm like, I don't either. I have two little kids. I have a very demanding career. And every day I feel like I'm dying. Like this is not living by any means. I'm struggling to even drive home at the end of the day. And as I was bouncing back from that, I had to take a leave from work to start to recover my my medical situation. And as I was doing that, I herniated my back. And so as I was getting ready to transition back to work, I hurt my back working out because, you know, (laughs) injured my back, ended up having a back surgery, just got back to work. And within three months, injured my back again and needed a spinal fusion. And all of those, it was, gosh, two and a half years of of medical appointments and surgery and and trying to figure out what my life even was before I realized that the work I was doing, the way I was doing it and my natural temperament weren't going to work together. And that that career, though I loved it, it's the reason I went to law school. Working that way did not work for me. And I had a very hard time setting good boundaries around my work. And I had a very hard time setting emotional boundaries 
around my work. Because when you're dealing with people at the worst part of their life, it is very hard to put bumpers around wanting to do what's right for them, wanting to stand up for them, and putting a lot of responsibility on your own shoulders at the end of the day for a jury decision that you cannot control. And it really did take a toll. I also had an exposure to tuberculosis through work and was treated for that for nine months, which kind of hastened, I think, the decline of the adrenals because that medication really did a number on my body. But not a single doctor said, hey, this medication is really nasty on your body. And this is what we're going to do to recover from it. It was like, no, this is the treatment. Good luck. <laughs> so in sum, that is the, that is the journey. Well, and I know that role. I mean, obviously not being in it, but being quite familiar with Los Angeles and, you know, the types of cases that they see on a daily basis, you know, for in other municipalities, it would be, yeah, we might get a, you know, a handful of cases like that in a year. And you're going to get a bunch of them every day. Uh, and yeah. just the, the story and having, you know, the emotional boundaries around, you know, a single parent that did wrong or somebody that just snapped at the wrong moment and end up taking somebody's life where they've, you know, they just all in all the different things and all the gory details that you had to see. And even the most rigid of boundaries, they still will penetrate because yep. we're empathetic human beings typically. And those types of things aim for us and you want to fight and you put in all the hours and you're researching and you're like, okay, let's cover every angle, every loophole. And I don't call it loophole, but every angle in, in the law, <laughs> yeah, Freudian, every facet. Freudian slip there. Um, but um, yeah, I, I look for him. What about there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We love a good loophole, but when it comes to business, when it comes to criminal justice, it's, it is kind of what it is. The law yeah. is what it is. And yeah. jurors are who they are when they come in at the end of the day. Exactly. Yeah. You can put the case and, you know, somebody says something that convinces the jury, uh, depending on, you know, the um, education level and a variety of different factors. It's like, uh, yeah, you, you don't, no one wants to have to get to a jury trial because it's like, who knows, you know, you, you know, you would think, yeah, it looks pretty ironclad, but we don't see it all the time. But so when you made the decision to switch, and, and shift away from that because of the you know, over two years of health challenges. And you're young. The fact that you had to go through all of those things, I mean, those are some of the symptoms you tend to see with people that are towards the latter part of life and our bodies just start you know, falling apart because we, we use them and you know, <laughs> they, they, they break down. That's just part of the game. Um, but the fact that you were having all those things at such a young age, you know, when you got to the point where you say, okay, I just can't do this anymore. What was your, you know, what were you thinking about? Were you thinking, were you saying, okay, I want to stay in law? Were you thinking, you know what, I'm going to go into marketing or something out of the, you know, out of the ordinary. What, you know, what was your, what was your thinking around that time and what you wanted to do? First, it's so funny that you say like you were experiencing this, you're so young. It was the, the medical irregularities were so common within my work. Um, I had, two very difficult high-risk pregnancies, I think due to stress. I had most of my colleagues also have similar experiences. So when you're surrounded in an insular work environment where dysfunction is the norm, you don't see how messed up it is until you step out and then take a look at it. And it took me a while even after I retired from the DA's office to look back and go, oh my God, this was all of us. All of us were sick all the time. All of us were pushing through. 
all of us were pushing too hard. And it's, I think, why there are so many uh, very difficult and challenging health issues within people in the career of law, and particularly within criminal law. But when I decided to leave, it was a very difficult decision. I went to law school and spent well over $100,000 to get a law degree to become a district attorney. I was a, you know, take me out of these doors feet first at the end of my career. I had fully intended to be there 30 plus years, not 10 plus years. I never wanted to do another law job. I never wanted to do anything else. That had been my dream job. And so giving up your dream career because your body can't hack it felt very hard for me. I also had to do this in college. I was a water polo player and had an injury that took me out of that. And I never thought, I'm like, my body is just giving up on me versus, you know, maybe we should listen a little bit better and not run it into the absolute ground. But it took a while to come to that realization. I stepped away from law for a bit when I left the DA's office. I thought that law was the problem, that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I identified so strongly as a lawyer. I needed to also figure out who I was because people look at you, they're like, oh, what do you enjoy doing? I'm like, I work. Oh, well, what do you like watching on TV? I work. Oh, do you have any hobbies? Work? Work's not a hobby. That can't be a hobby too. That's all I do. I go to work. I come home. I have kids and I'll try to see my family. So rediscovering who I was and the things I enjoyed took a bit of time for me. And then as I started going to entrepreneurial conferences, because I had taken Dave Asprey's first Bulletproof Coach certification course, because I found him through his adrenal fatigue story and started uh, leaning more into aspects of Bulletproof that worked for me. And this idea of like, actually track how your body's doing with different things. I'm like, what? (laughs) What do you mean track how my body's doing? Look at how I'm sleeping, how I'm hydrating. It was so novel to me. And I thought that that was the direction I was going to go in. And I started going to entrepreneurial conferences after my spinal fusion. Every time I did, somebody would say, oh my God, you're a lawyer. I've never met a lawyer. Or I have this like one family member who's a lawyer, but I've never really talked to them. Can I ask you a question? every single day, multiple times a day. Oh, you seem cool. It seems like I can talk to you. Can I ask you a question? And so my work in entrepreneurship started as consulting people who just didn't have anywhere to ask a question. And that's what started my entire entrepreneurial venture. That's what started my podcast. And that's what started all my content was, I've never met a lawyer who can just explain things to me. Can I ask you a quick question? And most of the questions were like, what's even an LLC anyway? And I'm like, oh, girl, like you don't need a law degree to understand this. Let me just tell you what it means. And so I found a lot of um, encouragement in that space. I really love helping businesses build the foundation so I can watch them fly. So when they have million dollar launches, they're not afraid of what the IRS is going to do. They don't hold themselves small because they're like, if I'm just this little business, no one will notice what I'm doing. I like seeing my businesses be bold and saying, I know that Emily's got my back. I know I'm good. Let's change the world. Because most entrepreneurs really don't come at it from, this is how I make money. It's like, this is what I do to change the world. And then I also make money. And that's such a fun space to be in versus getting up in a criminal trial with a witness and being like, hi, I'm the prosecutor. I'm going to ask you some questions. Bitch, I ain't talking to you. I don't want to say nothing. I didn't see nothing. I'm not here for you. When I talk to entrepreneurs, it's a lot of, oh my God, I'm so thankful we can talk. I didn't understand this and I feel so much better. It's just a much more uplifting experience. 
I bet. And, you know, if we run into each other into a conference, I might use that, you know, that bitch comment just to throw you off. But, but no, I, no, I won't. No, they I don't want to hear it. Yeah. A lot yeah. of, look, in criminal law, what people don't understand is that being the prosecutor, everyone's mad at you all the time. If you watch how prosecutors are portrayed on television, oftentimes the victims are mad because they don't, it, you know, the ones who've survived are mad because they don't think you're doing enough. Victims' families are mad because they want you to do more. The defendants and their families are mad because you're doing too much. And at the end of the day, the witnesses are like, I don't even want to be in court anyway. I don't, I don't, I don't care what happened with these people. I just witnessed a thing. And then the jurors are mad because they're missing work in their lives and they've had their cell phones taken away and they're sitting in a courtroom day after day. And it's a very long process with a lot of breaks. So at the end of the day, everyone's just kind of mad at you all the time. And it's a different experience being in entrepreneurship where people are um, thankful. And not to say people aren't thankful when you're in criminal prosecution, but it's fewer and farther between. Well, I bet. Yeah. And the stress level is tends to be, I think, uh, especially in, in the role you were in, you know, dramatically lower, which prolonged stress turns into burnout. And you, you yeah. thankfully, you know, you know, had the time to look at and go, all right. And, and noticed an opportunity and, you, and, and took it. And, and now you have a much healthier, successful career for you, still helping people, yeah. uh, protecting them in law and guiding them and all of that. So I commend you on surviving all of that and, and doing this awesome work. <laughs> so I've never been more thankful, truly. I mean, I three years ago, I couldn't have imagined what my life looks like. And it always feels weird to hear people say that, but it's mm. when I was leaving the DA's office, I really still didn't have any idea how the rest of this was going to work. I just knew I had to leave. And I was doing that I thought to save myself. I had also lost mentors and friends to various forms of cancer, all in close succession to me having my health issues. And so I was, I saw what I felt like was the writing on the wall for me and said, I can't continue to do this. But taking that leap is very scary. But entrepreneurship is kind of building it on the way down, right? And it there's a lot of ways to make money. Finding who you are becomes the most important part of all of it. And then finding what you want to do. I have the most fun in my work. I still work a lot. I do. I don't, I'm not going to say I work three hours a week and, and make a ton of money and everything's great. I still work quite a lot, but I love it. And I'm able to stop, you know, my work day when my kids are home and have lunch with them because they're distance learning. I'm able to stop and play a couple rounds of Fortnite if I want to. So my work has become more fluid as a part of my life. And I love what I do. And I picked up hobbies. So it all works. <laughs> You've you've made your life more harmonious, and that is yes. something I always implore people to do. Figure out what works for you, and when you do that, and it flows really well, um, it, it's it, it's just makes for a more richer life. So, Emily, I've loved our conversation today. Where can people find out more about you and this awesome work you're doing? Absolutely. I am the Emily D. Baker all over social media. Um, we've had a bit of a viral moment over on YouTube. So a lot of content lives there. So the Emily D. Baker or watchemily.com takes you to YouTube. I'm on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram. And I also have the Get Legit Law and Shit podcast, which really does break down the law and shit through the news stories that you want to talk about. And I just hit um, top 30 in news commentary. I was shook by it. I was like, there aren't a lot of ladies up on up on the top of these news commentary charts here. So I'm coming for the news commentary space. That's kind of the 2021 goal. There you go. That's it. Congratulations on that. It's always Thank good to, to hit, you know, some of those rankings. And like I, the other day I hit like 19 in Luxembourg and I'm like, <laughs> yes. I'm like, uh, greetings to everybody in Germany. You know, I, I've got some heritage, you know, on my dad's <laughs> side there. I've never been, 
I'll put it on my to-do list once we get to play and fly in airplanes again safely. Uh, but another story for another day. So Emily, love the work you do. Thank you so much Thank for you. your time today. And I really appreciate you. Thanks for listening to The Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.